0: Rise and shine, you Syracuse superfans. It's time to pour yourself a tall, delicious glass of orange fizz. Syracuse recruiting news, insider information, latest SU buzz. The Syracuse blogosphere comes to life on the central New York airwaves. It's Fizz Radio. It's Fizz Radio on the score 1260. Gil Gross and Ian Unsworth here. It was quite the week in Syracuse athletics. A surprise Wednesday matinee for Syracuse basketball against Northeastern. That fell on the same day as early signing day when uh, the Q's brought in pretty much the entirety of their 2021 class uh, early, ex- with the exception of one. Uh, and now, later on tonight, 6 p.m., Syracuse Buffalo, one of the better mid major programs in the country, I would say, uh, the Buffalo Bulls, four tournament appearances in five five seasons not counting last year of course when the tournament got canceled but ian the last time we saw the orange out there not encouraging signs a 62 to 56 win over northeastern where uh Cuse really had to lean on the defense and all the steals that they were able to get 10 steals 20 turnovers, and holding Northeastern to 56 points. They needed to do that in order to prevent a monumental upset uh, because the offense was horrendous.
1: Yeah, Gil, we almost saw what John Rothstein likes to call the epitome of brutality when, uh, you know, a big Power <laughs> 5 team has one of these buy games where they bring in a smaller non-con school and they lose for some reason or another. And you're right. It was absolutely on the shooting. Let's go through the box score here for a second because it's surprising. Buddy Bayheim is 1 of 12, 0 of 3 from three-point range. And along with him is Alan Griffin, who scores zero points in this game. Also goes 0 for 3 from three. Only takes four shots and plays 24 minutes. Does not play in the last 10 minutes of the second half. Really, the only bright spots were, as you said, Joe Girard had six steals at the top of the zone. And it seemed to be all just deflect, getting in the passing lanes and getting in runouts. Now, those runouts looked a little shaky. I'm going to say, Joe Girard in transition, oh, baby, it's across your fingers and hope kind of situation. But hey, he got fouled or converted on all of those layups. So it, it seems to be working. And then Quincy mm-hmm. Garriott had another outstanding performance, 18 points, 16 boards. It just, uh, he's a monster, Gil. He's the best player on the Syracuse team right now. But let's go back to the shooting because it's absolutely unacceptable, in my opinion, that two of your three best shooters... Well, actually, I mean, Joe Girard didn't even shoot that well from three either. He was two for nine. So your three best shooters mm-hmm. are shooting a combined two for 15 from behind the arc, that you can't win basketball games if you're Syracuse with your three best players playing like that.
0: No, you you have to be playing Northeastern in order to win. There's no way that performance is not going to win any basketball games uh, against higher level opponents. With that being said, I I almost want to throw it away the game. I just don't think that I don't know what was going on, but. I feel like Syracuse, and especially offensively, was just unrecognizable from Buddy Bayheim's horrible shooting, which you know what? That does happen sometimes. He can be streaky. He can, he can go off the rails. Alan Griffin played his worst game as a member of the Orange by miles. I mean, he has not been even close to that bad uh, at any point this season. Syracuse wasn't playing fast. They weren't running the floor like they have been all year. So my takeaway was like, who? What was this team? Who? Who are they? And when it comes to a game like that, it's like, hey, they escaped with the win, but I'm not gonna read much into it because I just don't think that's what the team is.
1: Well, I gotta, I gotta disagree with you here, Gil, because <laughs> Syracuse already got a throwaway game. It was Bryant in the opener, another absolute nail biter, and th- what's the excuse this time for Jim Beheim? What, what's the excuse? Because you, I mean, he definitely knew that Syracuse was going to play Northeastern before SU Athletics announced it on, what was it, Monday afternoon, I believe, when it was made official? Was it Monday or Tuesday? Yes. Monday afternoon. And he he obviously knew, like, there's no way you don't tell the head coach beforehand. So Mm -hmm. where, what's the excuse? There's no COVID case anymore. They got to practice. Their shooters have gotten shots up and certainly looked proficient against Boston College on Saturday. I mean, I, I don't know what the excuse is. Northeastern, with their offensive play, strangely enough to say, even though the Huskies only shot 38% from the field, I think Northeastern's offensive play in the first half just really set Syracuse out of rhythm.
0: Yeah, well, they, they certainly slowed the game down. But I guess what I would respond to, what's the excuse? You're right. There's not. Now, against Bryant, the offense looked amazing in the opener against Bryant. Or not amazing. The offense looked very, very good. And the problem was the defense. You let Bryant score, I think, 84 points it was. Um, This was a completely different thing. And I think your excuse, which is not an excuse, right, but it's an explanation, is that Syracuse came into the gym sleeping and just not— they were not ready to play. Uh, there Certainly Alan Griffin's head wasn't in it. Maybe Buddy Beheim just had uh, a cold shooting night. And ultimately, could it have just been one of those days where no one was bringing the energy and it, it was just a, a snooze fest? Now, against Northeastern on a, on a Wednesday afternoon, I don't want to blame the 3 p.m. tip because I don't think that has anything to do with it. But maybe after winning a conference game on the road to come back and play a non-conference game on short notice in the dome against a bad team. Uh, I think you just had guys that weren't focused or ready to work.
1: Well, Gil, I feel like it's the same thing as last year. I'm getting a lot of deja vu. I got to say it because last year Syracuse went to Georgia tech. If, if I'm, I'm, I'm remembering this correctly on December 7th, 2019, I believe it was a, maybe a Friday or a Saturday. I think it was like a Saturday at noon tip. But Syracuse went to Georgia Tech and absolutely ran the Yellow Jackets out of their own gym. They almost put up 100. They won by 20, 30, a, a super wide margin. And then they came back, lost to Georgetown, right? Which, well, it was it was away in Georgetown last year before they Ewing had all the departures and the issues there. They were a solid team. They could have competed in the Big East, maybe not for a title, but for at least a top four or five seed in the tournament. But, however, after the Georgetown lost, they struggled against Oakland, right? And they struggled against North Florida. And North Florida played a lot like Bryant did. They just shot threes every single chance they could. And Oakland played a lot like Northeastern did. There we go. North Oakland just kind of stymied Syracuse for some reason. And I'm just seeing a lot of parallels between this stretch from this year and the stretch from last year. And if, if it's anything to any implication leading into ACC play, I don't know. Syracuse might not be ready just yet to compete in conference.
0: That's fair. It does feel a little bit like last year. I, I kind of remember it a little bit differently though, because Syracuse was already humiliated in the season opener last season against Virginia. And then, they go to, to uh, the, the Barclays Center, and I have a very funny memory of uh, using the bathroom at the Barclays Center before they're, they're playing Oklahoma State. And at this point, you're right. I mean, Syracuse ran the breaks off of Seattle, Cornell, Bucknell, and, uh, and Colgate at that point. And, and we were talking, and I will not ever forget this bathroom conversation because it was the turning point of the season for me. And we were like, hey, uh, I think this team's really good. I think they're legit. I think they're a tournament team, they're moving the ball, they're shooting the three well, they're doing all these things. And then from that point on, I never believed in Syracuse <laughs> basketball after what we saw in the Barclays Center. So so that was the conversation, that was the last conversation uh, in the Barclays Center that I believed in Cuse. You're right, though, on this point, this point specifically, uh, Syracuse really hasn't played anyone outside of Rutgers that's really a good indication of of what this team is, right? Is that kind of what you're saying?
1: Yeah, I'm with you. And last year, same sort of thing, Big Ten ACC Challenge. Iowa comes into the Dome and, you know, kind of sets everybody's head straight because we wrote off the Virginia game in the beginning of the year as an anomaly. And I think that Virginia game last year absolutely was an anomaly. That was a terrible basketball game. It was so, (laughs) so difficult to watch, but – it 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 was rough for both teams it wasn't just Syracuse struggling but yes Iowa came into the dome and pretty much showed Syracuse who was boss and i wouldn't say Rutgers did the exact same thing but they they looked Rutgers looked like the better team in that in that game at the rack it was more how is Syracuse in this game instead of oh this is a neck and neck battle
0: yeah, I still think that we're we're not on the same page here. I think we feel a little bit differently. I'm, you know, I again, I'm throwing the northeastern game out the window. I I feel like it, it was an anomaly. I'm just looking at what this team has and the depth that Syracuse has. And later in the show, we'll get to what the rotation is going to look like when Barama Sidibe comes back here on Fizz Radio on the Score Twelve Sixty. But but just in general, why what's what is kind of keeping you from being optimistic about this team? Specifically, what don't you believe in?
1: Well, I think the the misconception here is that Syracuse can shoot this well. Like, they didn't shoot that well against Northeastern, right? And the issue is, the, relying on the three-point shooting and conference play is extremely dangerous. It just there are games where your shots will not fall. Think of Buddy Bayheim last year. He went to Florida State and absolutely clanked every single one of his threes. Joe Girard had some really bad— Joe Girard he- heated up in conference play, I will say, and that, that's the narrative around him. He plays his best games under the brightest spotlights, but still, there were games when he really struggled to shoot the three ball. And like it or not, Alan Griffin is not Elijah Hughes. I think everybody's realized he everybody's realized that by now. But he's a high-volume three-point shooter as well, and he still hasn't really shot the ball convincingly except for the Boston College game. So we all know Syracuse doesn't have an Elijah Hughes type where you can give him the ball, he'll go get you a bucket. But if they are going to rely on these three dudes to shoot the ball consistently and shoot it well i'm I'm just not sold on the fact that they can do that game after game after game because that's what has to happen for Syracuse to make a successful run through conference play.
0: Yeah, I understand your concern that Syracuse doesn't have anyone that can really get by their defender at times.
1: i'm and- not I'm not even there. Like if they all want to shoot threes, that's fine. They just need to make them consistently. They need to make them consistently. I haven't even seen that yet, okay. You need.
0: I would argue you need penetration. You know you need Marek on the high block, uh, or excuse me, the high post. Uh, you need. Um, you need Quincy to be slashing to the to the basket and kind of packing in the defense. And that's my kind of. It's always been my concern with Joe Girard is that he just can't penetrate. So that's why you know it's hard to be a playmaker if you can't penetrate. Uh, but in terms of shooting. Again, like I just don't know that you're being completely fair to Alan Griffin. He's shooting 42% from three on the year. I get that against Boston College, he had a 6-for-9 day, which can kind of skew things a lot. But it was 4-for-6 against Ryder. It was 4-for-10 against Bryant. Yeah, are, are are those teams that are, are going to be as physical with him and as long on their closeouts? No, but let's— I think right now he has the benefit of my doubt. So does Buddy Beheim, who went one for. Was it 12? One for 14?
1: One for 12, 0 for 3 from deep.
0: Yeah. Again, like Buddy Beheim has played three games this season. He's played great twice, he's played poorly once. That's fine. That's okay. Uh, I'm i feeling fine going into Buffalo. I, I don't think that. I'm, again, I'm I'm not moving the needle much on the northeastern game. That was an unrecognizable Syracuse team, and I don't think we're going to continue to see that.
1: I don't know if like my needle has been moved much either. I just don't think I was ever really that high on Syracuse. If we're being completely honest, I sure. I predicted on our FizzCast well, with me and John Eads a couple of weeks ago, I predicted Syracuse was going to lose to Rutgers, and I mean, I obviously didn't see them struggling against northeastern, but. I think this Buffalo game coming up, biggest trap of the Syracuse season. I mean, sheesh, Northeastern might have been a trap game, but if there is a trap game on the Syracuse schedule, it is absolutely the Buffalo Bulls.
0: It's going to be a good test. Buffalo rebounds really, really well. They were first in in the Mid-American Conference. No, first in the country. I'm underselling them. First in the country in rebounding last year. Uh, They have big guys, and I got to say, even their guards have really stepped up and, and played really well. Uh, this is a good team that I, I think is a tournament, uh, tournament level team. Are you high on Buffalo as well? I'm, I'm
1: with you. I think they're one of the top three teams in the MAC. Bowling Green's definitely up there as well. Bowling Green went into Michigan. Game one played them really tough. Justin Turner on Bowling Green's an NBA player, but that's beside <laughs> the point. Yet yeah, Buffalo, once again, there I call them Florida State light, Gil. You know why I call them Florida State light? Buffalo has. Eight players that give them 15 or more minutes. Buffalo is constantly throwing dudes out there. They have so many different names that can give you a bucket. And it's like Florida State has never really had that outstanding player, that all-conference, all-world kind of guy. But they always have three dudes or four dudes that you are completely comfortable with giving them the ball in any sort of situation. And they're just so deep and they play so hard. Buffalo is exactly the same way.
0: Absolutely. To me, Buffalo is a Power 5 caliber team and then some. All right, we'll get into the early signing day haul from Syracuse Football 2021 class has put the pen to paper. We'll discuss it and evaluate it on the other side of the break. This is Fizz Radio on the Score 1260. back on fizz radio here on the score 1260, Gil Gross and Ian Unsworth here and uh, let's get into this early signing day class. We put pen to pa- pen to paper on uh Wednesday morning. well, we didn't but but they did. and it is about the 50th best uh, recruiting poll in the nation, which is very typical uh, of Syracuse. Rivals ranks it as the highest class since 2008. Uh, 247 and ESPN rank the class pretty much at the the 2018 level by Dino Baber's standards it's a good class it's just you know Syracuse has been stuck in the 50-ish to 60-ish range for a long time now
1: but I I really like what Dino did with this class because I think he addressed a lot of the immediate needs with this team right offensive line bam he brought in let's see four or five offensive line five offensive linemen Yes, and at least one of them is going to provide some help next year. Brought in a couple wide receivers. Nikeem Johnson's probably going to be on the way out. And, you know, Taj Harris can't do it all. So these guys, Mm -hmm. especially, I think, Amari Hatcher, we can get into who's going to make the big impacts later, but a a couple of these dudes can make immediate impacts. And then on the back end, last year we saw a ton, a ton, a ton, a ton of secondary injuries. And the best player in this recruiting class I think, can be a day-one starter. So Dino Babers definitely hit on some team needs in this class.
0: Yeah, you're referring to Deuce Chestnut, who was a four-star for a lot of his uh, high school career, was just bumped down slightly to a three-star, nothing to to worry about. But that is a really big get uh, by Syracuse. And I agree with you. I mean, he's someone who Michigan State and Ohio State called last minute and said, hey, you sure you want to go? to Central New York. Uh, we got an offer for you if you want it. And I agree with you. Ify Melifanmu, I have him going to the NFL. Uh, I don't think we'll see him play another snap in orange. So uh, I do think Deuce Chestnut could line up across from Garrett Williams next year and make an immediate impact. And that is the the centerpiece of the class. With that being said, the name that you didn't mention is probably the name that's going to ultimately be most important, right? J- Justin Lampson is is the question here. You know, can he compete for the starting quarterback job next year, right?
1: Ooh, I don't I don't know. I mean here's the thing. Lamson could be better than Markowitz and Morgan from day one. I think that's an immediate possibility when he steps on campus. He could automatically be number two or number one A depending on what the deal is with Tommy DeVito. How is he recovering from his injury, which we still don't know that much about. How, you know, what is his confidence level like? Is he still shaky in the pocket? So I think the the book on Lampson seems to be out a bit already. I mean, he's the Ian Book understudy. He's the Eric Dungy, you know, 2.0. I, I, people love what he's going to bring to this program. I'm not sure if he starts, though. I, I think DeVito... I've talked about this before on this show, and you you know my feelings on this, Gil. Like, Dino Babers and Tommy DeVito, Dino has that connection to him, and he can't see him fail. So, I don't think Lampson gets the starting job just yet, but 2022 is this guy's year. Justin Lampson, sophomore year, he's having a breakout year.
0: Uh, I get your hesitation with a three-star true freshman quarterback. It's not, just not a typical starter situation, but... What you just said about Geno Babers, it, it can't continue. It, it just can't. Um, and, you know, I, I said on our early signing day roundtable that Babers needs to look at the transfer portal to try to find a quarterback. And I, I guess people were surprised. You know, I was on with, with Jaron and Thomas, and they were kind of taken aback. I, I don't think that—that that can't be surprising. That, that needs to be where we're at here. Uh, Dino Babers needs to try to find an answer at quarterback because we've seen what Tommy DeVito is. It's not horrific. It's not unplayable, but it's just not very good. And he's got to try to do better.
1: There are options out there earlier today on our Twitter at OrangeFizz. Hendon Hooker from Virginia Tech was brought up as an option. I don't remember the guy's name off the top of my head, but a Texas A&M transfer, her mm-hmm. Syracuse looked at when he first came out of high school, might be on the table. There are going to be a lot of names in this transfer portal because last year we saw a ton of movement and I expect it to continue, especially now that people have extra years of eligibility due to COVID-19. I, there will be a ton of movement and I think Syracuse should definitely try to capitalize on it. It's not really Dino's style, I don't think, to bring in these big time transfers. And you know Syracuse might not be a big time transfer spot, but... It's it I'm with you, Gil. It's it's about that time to explore other options. And is Jacobian Morgan that other option? Is Justin Lampson that other option? I don't think we're going with the first one. We don't know about the second one. So it makes a lot of sense to bring in some experience because especially with the with everybody returning, it seems like right now, it doesn't seem like anyone from Syracuse besides, you know, the aforementioned defensive backs who left for the draft and maybe Iffy Melifon, we as you said are departing the program. Kingsley Jonathan's coming back. Actually, pause that for a second. Aaron Hackett's in the transfer portal. But other than that, Mm -hmm. Kingsley Jonathan's coming back. Josh Black's coming back. A lot of these Syracuse players who are, you know, older upperclassmen want to come back and contribute. So if a transfer quarterback is the way to go, maybe just have him for one year, this is the year.
0: Yeah, and that's also why I'm so comfortable with the recruiting class that's coming in. What Dino Babers can't get are big o linemen, D linemen, ready to go, ready to play college football. Right now, where the program's at, Syracuse can't pull those guys. But in the uh, skill positions, right when you have when you have wide receivers like Amari Hatcher and the uh, Gadsden II, um, and Deuce Chestnut, those are guys ready to play right away. The interior guys you can develop. That's why it's so big that Syracuse isn't really losing much on the O-line and adding Chris Bleich um, and also returning, you know, Josh Black and Kingsley Jonathan on the defensive line, I'm very comfortable with this recruiting class. There's not going to be any like, ooh, um, look at this kind of hole that's going to be filled by this true freshman that really isn't ready for the job.
1: I'm I'm totally with you there. Aaron Service also coming back too. Even though at times he looked he like a turnstile, be
0: oh my yeah. god, he looked he looked, he looked be like better.
1: a turnstile last <laughs> year, but he's coming back, so that's a positive. Gil, I want to throw a couple more names at you and see what you think. Uh, Josh Huff, first name because he put mm-hmm. up crazy stats last year at Beaver Falls High School in Pennsylvania. He had, I think, multiple games with 70-plus-yard touchdown runs. He's massive. He's like 6'3", 240, absolute beast of a running back. And it was interesting. In Dino Baber's press conference, he said, hey, I wanted Marlo Wax to be the big back last year, but he wanted to play defense. And Marlo Wax looked good on defense. I don't have any qualms with that. Really so, good. <laughs> yeah. Sean Tucker might have some thunder to his lightning next year if Josh Huff gets some player playing time as a freshman.
0: Yeah, well, uh, he can probably fill the Jarvion Howard role and just be the goal line back to start and then, you know, you can go from there. Sean Tucker, I uh, I really I really like what we saw from Sean Tucker. Absolutely. Um, this year, I mean, he was such a positive. But but yeah, you know, on on the goal line maybe maybe Huff is your guy.
1: Yeah, I'm with you there. What about Landon Morris? 6'5" 210 tight end from Fisher's Indiana. Any 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 interest there? You think he plays as a freshman? Uh,
0: You know, I I think Luke Benson has a lot of talent, and I think that they... uh, Dino Babers admits they got to find out a way, another Pennsylvania guy, to use him and and to use him better, more often, and more effectively. So I don't know that that's really... There's an opening there.
1: Yeah, I, I could see him not getting much playing time, but I do like the versatility he brings because he can split out as a wideout or play some tight end... He I mean, there's a lot of big receivers in this class. Gadsden is six four. Morris is six five. Long is six. Kendall Long is six three. Hatcher's big as well. He's six three. So the big receivers Dino has brought in this year, Nikeem Johnson can move back to the slot. And there's going to be a lot more versatility with the Syracuse offense next year.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Just one parting shot about the Syracuse, uh, about the quarterback position rather, because I can't help myself. It's painful to think about how many spots were actually good this year for Syracuse football, how many position groups actually performed well, and you still get a one in nine season because that's how bad the quarterback position was. I'm not pinning it all on that one position, but There needs to be a change there. All right, back to basketball. On the other side of the break, this is Fizz Radio on the Score 1260. Back to basketball here on the Score 1260. This is Fizz Radio with Gil Gross and Ian Unsworth. Syracuse taking on Buffalo a little later tonight. And uh, as we mentioned, that's going to be a good test against a physical team with a lot of skill. But a really interesting topic I want to get into here because we've been watching, and it's easy to forget this, a completely incomplete Syracuse basketball team without the starting center Barama Sidibe, who was seen earlier shooting around, walking without a limp, according to Syracuse.com's Mike Waters. He's coming back, and it's gonna create a real traffic jam in the front court. And in the rotation, one that is much more complex and quite frankly, so much more interesting than the dumb Kadari Richmond versus Joe Girard debate that we were all having at the beginning of the year.
1: I'm with you. And Gil, as crazy as this might sound to say, it might be Merrick Dolajai who loses his starting spot to Barama Sidibe because Alan Griffin... Provides something to Syracuse that Marek Dolajai does not. An offensive creation possibility and, as you mentioned earlier, 40% three-point shooting. And Quincy Garrier provides something to Syracuse that Marek Dolezal does not. Excuse me, Marek. I've been saying it wrong this whole time. <laughs> Marek Dolajai is that pronunciation. Who, who has been recently, saying it wrong this whole time? Has that, that pronunciation has gone back and forth. Marek Dolezal. Right there. Okay, so... Quincy Guerrier provides something that doai does not it's physicality it's energy a proficiency on both ends of the boards and he he just plays harder if we're being completely honest Quincy Garrier plays harder than Marek doai <laughs> and Sidibe you need you need the height you need the physicality and I I I want to see a team start out start without Marek, Marek Dolajai because I'm with, I'm in that same sort of vein as the Dino Babers devito thing. I think Bayheim has some sort of connection to Dolzhi where no matter what's going to happen, he's going to start. However, I just think Griffin and Gary add too much to the Syracuse team.
0: They both play so hard. Now, now first of all, on your larger point, I want to ask you this. Did, did you expect are you expecting to get blowback on this on this whole Marek might lose the starting job? What are you expecting here?
1: Maybe, but I mean, from what I've seen so far this season, I think starting Quincy over Marek at the four has a lot of merit.
0: Okay, fair. Now, I think a lot of people will say it should be the opening day starting lineup. I think if you, and and I, I don't agree with this, by the way, but against Bryant, it was... Joe Girard, Buddy Bryant. Uh, Buddy Bryant. <laughs> Buddy We're Bayheim. both struggling out here with the pronunciations. <laughs> Buddy Bayheim, um, Quincy Guerrier, Marek Dolajai, Brahma Sidibe. That was the starting five. Alan Griffin was on the bench. Now, I don't want to see that lineup again. In terms of what is Syracuse's best lineup, let's be clear. I don't think it's a huge deal who starts, but what is Syracuse's best lineup? You have to have Alan Griffin and Quincy Garay on the floor at the same time because it's a very, very real possibility that those two could be Syracuse's best players. Now, to me, there are three guys who have to be out there. In crunch time, end of the second half— ACC opponent. There's three players who need to be out on the floor. They are Syracuse's three best players. It's Buddy, Garrier, and Alan Griffin. So when Sidibe comes back, I I cannot let that bump Garrier or Griffin out of the lineup. They have to stay. That's what I'm adamant about. Now, the question then goes to the five, and if it should be Marek or Sidibe,
1: right? Yeah, absolutely. I was just going to bring that up. You kind of Caught my point in, you caught it before I caught it, but uh, let's see. That's a really tough debate because Sidibe is, he's just bigger. He provides more physicality and you're going to need that in conference play. However, he's limited offensively. This is, I think everybody in the 315 already knows this. Dolajai gives you so much more. He can play from the elbow. He's better in the pick and roll. His passing is much better. Like he works pretty well with Garrier as a, a sort of down low tandem. They had some nice little interplay against Northeastern. Uh, Sadibe just doesn't do it for anyone on the offensive end. However, you just need the bigger body. You need the bigger body in conference play because you're not going to go against teams that are, you know, their front lines maybe 6'6, six, 6'7, six, 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 No, it's going to be 6'10 and above every Wednesday, Saturday.
0: It's as simple as a test for me. There needs to be a test done, like like this is a, a lab experiment. We need to see a team with big, physical big men. And the question is very simple. Is is Dolezal going to get pushed around and dominated on the offensive glass? And if the answer is yes, well, then Sidibe uh, is is going to be the guy who needs to play the bulk of the minutes at the five. That being said, I think they can split 20-20. Um, and I think that is a perfectly kind of acceptable outcome here. Um in addition to Dolajai having the versatility to play both the 4 and the 5.
1: And one other thing we haven't really mentioned yet is the foul situation. Both of both of these guys are are known for being foul magnets. So they might yeah. have to split it 20 and 20 if they both can't stay on the floor, especially if they're playing at the same time.
0: Guerrier too, which is why it might be valuable to keep Dolajai on the bench to start and then he can go out and relieve whoever is in foul trouble. I know it sounds, you know, it sounds a little bit ridiculous, but it kind of makes sense. And then I think one more angle to this offense, defense. Coaches play that game all the time. Is Syracuse down? Is the offense stalling? Is, it, is the offense struggling? Well, use the Slovakian. If not, if you need defense, if you need rebounding, then City Bay's your guy. You know, a perfectly flexible situation. And, uh, you know, I I love this problem. I think it's a great problem to have.
1: Yeah, the, an overabundance of resources. The other thing, none of the young centers are ready. And, and we say it, ever. it seems like we said it last year, we'll say it again. The young centers aren't ready to play. It's going to have to be Dolezal, Guerrier, Sidibe once he returns as the big men. There's, there, we're not going to get much out of Jesse Edwards or a Jacques who looked like a dwarf standing next to Miles Johnson or Frank Anselm, who, as Bayheim said, doesn't know where he needs to be on the floor. So it's going to be those three guys. And Gil, I think, I think we're really on the same page here that it should be Dolajai coming we off are. the bench.
0: Yeah, no, we are. And and this was, this was a view. I, I shared it with a uh, fellow Orange Fizz staff member, Brad Klein, in a casual setting. And uh, he pushed back. He did not agree. Um... I, he, he, he supports Sidibe to the bench, actually. Um, so, yeah, I'm actually surprised that that we're on the same level. I think this is going to be, you know, poisonous to a lot. I think a lot of fans—maybe I'm wrong. You know, maybe I don't have the pulse of Fizz Nation, as we'll find out in the next segment. But I think a lot of fans will have a visceral reaction to hearing the words Dolezal to the bench.
1: Yeah, it might happen, but at the same— it, we don't know. It's going to be behind at the end of the day. You just can't bet.
0: You can't. Very simple. Very simple. You can't bench Gary or Griffin. That's it. That's my perspective. I think you feel the same way. They're, they're too good to bench.
1: Yes, they're too good to bench. They're two of Syracuse's three best players, as you said. I'm. I'm. We're rowing the same boat, Gil. I'm completely with. Yep. You.
0: All right. Well, uh, let's see if we're rowing the same boat as Fizz Nation, as I alluded to. Coming up. Fizz Feedback, next segment, don't go anywhere. It's Fizz Radio on the score 1260. Taking it home on Fizz Radio with Gil Gross and Ian Unsworth. It is time for everyone's favorite segment, Fizz Feedback, Ian. Let's get going. What do you got for me?
1: All right. So three interesting polls today, stuff we've already discussed on the show, but certainly some hot topics around Fizz Nation. First and foremost, we discussed this pretty much opening off the top. What is Syracuse basketball's biggest weakness? Is it streaky shooting, lack of depth, or the top of the 2-3 zone?
0: Hmm. Hmm. It's, It's, okay, so lack of depth I just don't agree with. This is the deepest Syracuse team I can remember in quite a bit. Top of the zone hasn't been great. Can't deny that, although coming off of a, of a game against Northeastern where the top of the zone might have won Syracuse the game. So my choice is streaky shooting, and I think Fizz Nation will agree.
1: They did, but it was very close. Streaky shooting claimed forty-seven percent of the vote, and the top of the 2-3 zone claimed 42%. So neck and neck there, I'm mm. with you, Gil. Streaky shooting, as I, you know, pontificated about in our, in our first segment there, is, is really my biggest issue with this team so far. Lack of depth only got 11%, and I mean, I think with Beheim only playing two or three players off of his bench every single year, everybody's going to complain about that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, well, I guess with Kadari Richmond at the top of the zone, he's got one of the highest steal rates in the country as well. So uh, when he's out there, you know, it's been very impressive.
1: If Joe stays in the passing lanes, then hey, who, who knows? That that could improve by the end of the year. Next up, we talked about Syracuse's early signing day class. So which SU football signee makes the biggest impact in 2021? Is it Deuce Chestnut, Enrique Cruz, who is an offensive tackle? We didn't mention him, but he's definitely he's going to, he's very good, very athletic. He'll he'll definitely make an impact sooner or later. Or is it Lampson, the quarterback from Mountain Cali, or somebody else who we didn't mention?
0: Yeah, well, the the safe bet here and the logical choice has to be Deuce Chestnut because you can't can't just assume that Lamson is going to be ready to start. By the way, something we didn't mention, his senior year of high school got canceled. So we don't know really what he's looking like these days. Uh, We have a very vague idea of it, at least. Uh, And Enrique Cruz will need to get bigger. I don't think he starts next year. A lot of upside, but not a ready out of the box kind of guy. 57%
1: 57% of Fizz Nation was with you. Deuce Chestnut to make the biggest impact in 2021. Cruz at 16%, Lampson at 16 as well. And then Other got 11% of the vote here. We have two responses on our poll. I, I want to read these to you, Gil, because they're interesting. Okay. One of them, Omari Hatcher, I think his film is the best of any receiver Dino has signed to this point, which is certainly a valid, it's-, it's certainly valid, I mean, Amari Hatcher looks really darn good in his huddle, and then the other one, Chris Bleich. Hey, I mean, is that technically a signee?
0: If it is, it's a good choice. No, that's a that's a good loophole, and man, it's gonna be nice to have him. I I can't argue with that.
1: Yeah, no more Chris Elmore at left guard. I, I'm I do not need to see any more of that going into 2020. Well,
0: don't don't insinuate that he was getting killed.
1: He wasn't getting killed. I mean, at some point, Dino called him his best offensive lineman. I think some pro football-focused stats were out there to back it up as well, but still, let, let's let let him go back to H-back. I want to see him catch a couple passes. He can play defensive tackle. I just don't want him on the line because there are guys that Dino recruited to play offensive line who should be filling in that void.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. Let's get, let's get Elmore back to fullback.
1: All right, last but not least, we had a really interesting discussion about this one. Which Hooper gets dropped from Jim Bayheim starting 5 once Barama Sidibe returns? Is it Dolajai, Guerrier, or Griffin?
0: You should have put Sidibe as an option though, right? It, Cuz it's not a given. I don't think it's a given that that he's the guy. Anyway, I do think I don't think the answer is Sidibe. I don't mean it like that. Um, you know, I I don't think Fizz Nation is going to vote their fan favorite to the bench. Uh, I really think that Dolgaj has has uh, won more affection than maybe any other player on Syracuse. Although Joe Girard, before this year, I feel like I feel like the fan base kind of turned on him real quick. But um, yeah, so uh, I think that it'll be the new the new guy in town who just went oh for four from the field, zero points in twenty three minutes against Northeastern, Alan Griffin,
1: Gil. You are three for three today. Impressive. Alan Griffin got a whopping 64% of the vote. Fiz- they're wrong. They, they, they're, they might be wrong, <laughs> but they're certainly quick to swing the needle. Garrier got 18%. <laughs> Doljai got 18%. And then we did have a reply. Nobody. Sidibe comes off the bench. So some someone was thinking ahead and, you know, considered that maybe I should have put Barama Sidibe, you know, on the poll. All right. But Gil... After Fizz feedback, we've got a game tonight. Syracuse and Buffalo at six. I believe you're gonna be on the call for that as well. So let me let me hear what you think of this Buffalo squad.
0: I think they're very, very strong. Um, they have two guards who can really score it in Javon Graves and Jonathan Williams. Uh, Ronaldo Segu, the point the the point guard, is undersized but also very skilled and then they just kind of have big guys who can rebound okay the the bigs are not skilled but they're physical that's kind of how the makeup of the team here's what i'll say uh, for syracuse if you can keep buffalo from penetrating on the drive you can really shut them down because they are not a great shooting team so to me this is the uh, this is a good opportunity for for the syracuse defense if they're able to keep the the ball handlers in front of them, especially at the top of the zone. I really think they can hold Buffalo pretty low.
1: Gil, I'm totally with you. Graves and Segu are, you know, their main playmakers, and they do a lot of their playing in, a lot of their offense is pick and roll action with Graves, Segu, and then the bigs. It's going to be Bertram, and Williams, he might be their top scorer, but he doesn't honestly do too much on offense. He gets a lot of his buckets in transition. He works really hard on the boards, and he's a decent shooter. He's one of three on their team shooting above 40%. But, you know, I mean, five games they've played so far. Percentages are, you know, I, don't, I don't really take much stock into percentages so far. Yeah. Uh, his, his shot looks kind of janky too. But I'm, I'm totally with you. I think you hit the nail right on the head. Graves and Sagu not getting in the lane, is the key to this game because Syracuse, I think, can compete on the boards, especially after what we've seen from Garrier. They can compete on the boards, but Javon Graves might be the best guard that Syracuse has faced this year.
0: Yeah. Uh, and at times it's been a problem, you know, against Bryant, especially where like the guards have just gotten right by at, at the top of the zone. Joseph Young, two of Rutgers. Yes. Yes. Good, good point. Um, yeah, and then the boards, it'll be Dolajai is probably probably his best test. Also Josh Mbala, uh, who's been injured this year. It looks like he'll be good to go. He's healthy again and he's a good rebounder. Only six foot seven, but wide base, very physical. Will Dolajai be able to hold his own? Is another question. Ian prediction.
1: Hmm. This is tough. I'm going to go Syracuse 67 64, super close game down to the wire.
0: Yeah, bingo. I'll I'll do similar. I'll say sixty-five to sixty. Syracuse wins. That's all the time we got on Fizz Radio. We hope you join us next time. Same time, same place from Gil Gross and Ian Unsworth. Enjoy the game, everyone.